Can we all turn our, our faith and our hearts toward our nation right now? just want to pray for our nation, but we could wholeheartedly turn our faith there right now in Jesus' name. God, we thank you for the United States of America. We thank you, God, for this great nation that we live in. God, I just thank you for the leadership of Jesus Christ standing up in this nation. God, that you're taking America by the hand, God, that you're leading her to a new place, a higher place, God. God, that you are America's stand up in recovery, Jesus. That you are standing up in this nation through your people. God, that you are standing in leadership in this nation. In Jesus' name, and God, I thank you that we are following the cloud of God. We are following the fire of God and the presence of God as a nation, God. As the children of Israel followed you in the desert, God. God, I thank you that you are leading us out into a promised land. In Jesus' name, God, you are leading this nation. God, you are invading the leadership of this nation, God. In every heart, God, you are invading our lives in this nation, God. And you're pulling us up. God, you're pulling us up in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. God, we just thank you. Hallelujah. I just see God taking the United States of America by the hand and leading her and drawing her to himself. God, I thank you that you're knocking on the heart of every life of every citizen of this nation. God, I think that we turn to you. We turn our lives to you. God, we turn to you with every aspect of our lives. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, God, I think you are standing up in your people through this nation. In Jesus' name, God, I think that we are blessed to be a blessing in this nation, that we are a blessing to the nations. God, you've called us from the nations, God, as a melting pot. God, we just declare in Jesus' name, the presence of God is filling this nation. It's filling this nation in Jesus' name that the world will be covered by the glory of God from this nation in Jesus' name. God, this nation will continue, God, to be a sending nation to the other nations of the world. God, I thank you that this, this, this nation takes its position in the realm of the Spirit in Jesus' name as a light, as a light to the nations in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, God, I think you just give courage to those leaders, God, that have a heart after you. Give them courage. Give them words to speak, God. Teach them how to write bills. Teach them how to pass laws in Jesus' name and to make everything happen according to the plan of God for this nation. In the name of Jesus, God, we're open and ready. God, we thank you for a, a mighty, mighty move of God. In Jesus' name, God, we thank you for that second great awakening just beginning. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. God, we thank you for all the prayer that is going forth from our capital in the name of Jesus. All the prayer, all the services, all the worship services that are going on, God, even now, even now in our capital in Jesus' name. God, I thank you that your your angels are guarding our port cities in Jesus' name, that things cannot enter this nation that do not belong here in Jesus' name. God, every spirit, every, every evil work that tries to invade this nation, we just stop it in the name of Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for Henda's Uh, uh, heaven's agenda in Jesus' name. Heaven's agenda coming forth in the name of Jesus. Amen. How many can agree with that? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. And God, as, as the young people and the students go back to school and colleges and elementary and high school, God, we just cover them. In Jesus' name, we cover every, every district, God, in Minnesota and the, around this nation. In Jesus' name, I thank you for peace in our schools. God, I thank you for, for righteousness in our schools. In the name of Jesus, Father, we just declare in Jesus' name that, that, your, that your light is being shined in, the, in each school. In Jesus' name, in every classroom. In the name of Jesus, I thank you for holy conviction in the heart of every life, in the life of every teacher and every board member over these schools and the leadership over all these districts. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, God, I thank you for just uh, giving each student, God, that has a heart for you, the words to speak. God, teach them how to stand. Teach them, God, and protect them in the name of Jesus from any evil, God, anything that could happen. In the name of Jesus, we thank you that you're protecting every student. God, give teachers wisdom. God, let there be joy in these school systems. In Jesus' name, let it not be a drudgery. God, we thank you that each student looks forward to class. They look forward to to seeing their teachers. In Jesus' name, 
Thank you, God. In the name of Jesus, we thank you for just your presence in the life of every, every classroom in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Amen. Amen. My name is Ryan Carey, and I'm a, a church administrator here and also over the children's ministry. And so um, uh, my wife isn't here today, but um, we're so glad you're here. And we just want to um, you to be encouraged today. And we just thank God for each of you. Um, turn to your neighbor and give them a high five or handshake. So good to have all of you here. Thank you so much for coming. We're excited to for what God has for us today. Just a couple of announcements. Um, there's going to be a Ladies Connect on Thursday, September 16th at 6.30. Uh, Tiffany Schmidt will be our speaker. I encourage you, if you're a lady, come on out. It's a great time with, uh, for ladies to get together in fellowship and get to know one another. And um, if you're new in our church or maybe you've changed your address or your phone number, I encourage you to talk to Dave Drexler in the lobby. He'll be there, sitting there at one of the tables. Uh, Dave, if you could just wave to everyone there. Uh, and so, uh, just want to encourage you, uh, update your information so we can get in touch with you. And also, um, the children's ministry, if you're um, interested in being involved in the children's ministry in any way, you can speak to myself or to Shannon or um, Stacy Shafran, and uh, we'd be happy to, uh, to have you involved and join one of our ministry teams. And um, also, ushers, if you want to stand up, we're going to receive this morning's tithes and offerings. Um, if you're giving cash on like a receipt, uh, just slip up your hand and the ushers will give you an offering envelope. On the screens, there are different ways that you may give. Thank you, Jesus, for um, abundance in our house. Amen. Um, reminded this about the, the story of the, the widow's might in the, in the New Testament where Jesus was sitting there. I think he was, he was sitting. He was sitting there watching people as they came into the temple to give. And um, isn't it interesting what Jesus watches? You know, it's interesting what God pays attention to, and it's interesting what, what um, gets God's attention. And, um, well, there's a woman, uh, they call her the widow woman. We don't have a name for her, but the um, Bible says that she gave of all she had. She gave, she gave a mite. And the Bible says that Jesus saw everyone else giving lots and lots of money in the treasury. The Bible says they gave out of their abundance, but she gave out of what she had, out of, out of her need. And so I just want to encourage you today that God sees your gift. God sees your gift, but not only that, he sees your heart. I think he was looking beyond the might. He was looking beyond the, I don't know if it was bags of money, money or whatever they're throwing in there from those that, were, that had a lot of money. But the Bible says that, uh, that, um, Excuse me, my mind is in a few places. Um, but the Bible says that Jesus was watching them and that I believe he was looking past the money. He was looking toward their heart. In the children's ministry, each week we tell the kids that the reason that we give is to do what? Any children in here? What, what does giving do? What does giving do? Any recall? What does it do? That's right. It puts God. Put it shows that we are putting God above money. What else does it do? Money and things, right? We put God above money and things, and um, I believe that's what that widow woman was doing. You know, some some the rich people were probably giving in a way that they could show everyone, well, look what I'm doing for the Lord. And but the Bible says that God looks at the heart, and if um, God's looking at the heart and He sees. No matter what the amount is, he sees our heart and what we're doing. He see, he's looking to know that, okay, I have your heart. I have, I have Ryan's heart. And, and so that's one way that God measures that through our giving is when we're generous. And so we're called to live generous lives. Uh, Father, thank you for uh, this amazing day and opportunity to serve you. God, our giving is a part of our worship. But we, God, we just adore you. We put you first place in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, ushers can pass the offering containers, uh, and we're ready to welcome Pastor Steve. Kevin's here this week. I announced your whole one last week, Kevin. Oh, okay. Everybody was wanting you to pray for them afterwards, so... If you have your Bibles, I want you to open them, please, to Romans chapter 6. 
I want to talk to you this morning. How many know what this weekend is? Everybody say it real loud. So I'm going to talk to you about grace. Get the connection? But actually, we've been going through a a foundation series, and uh, I use the five solas of the Protestant Reformation as the basis of my uh, teaching on the foundation series. And we talked about the sola of Scripture, and the sola means alone. So basically what it means, these five things mean Scripture alone, uh, faith alone, grace alone, uh, Christ alone, and uh, to the glory of God alone. So those are the five uh, solas, or the the foundation stones of the Reformation, of the Protestant Reformation. And we, we look at those things, you think to yourself, you know, well, yeah, you know, what's the big deal? You know, don't we all believe that? At the time that they, those were stated, they were so radical that the people that believed them were condemned to death as, ra- as heretics. So it wasn't a, it, it, to us, it's, it's more acceptable, but back then it was not, it was not uh, highly acceptable. And Martin Luther, who started the Lutheran Church, or the Lutheran Church came out of his, out of his ministry. He was the one that put these together, made them famous. And, um, and like I said to you before, one of the most significant things I said last week, I want to just say it again, is that, you know, Martin Luther, not only did he, did he bring forth the revelation of, of salvation by faith, or by grace through faith, but he also opened up the whole world to advancement. Because when people in, are in bondage, and, and, the, and the world was in religious bondage, I mean, the church at that time manipulated people out of fear and out of, you know, the threat of going to hell. <clears throat> and so, and so, and then, all, of course, the threat of death if you disobeyed or contradicted the Pope and, and the church at that time. And so there was a lot of bondage, religious bondage at that time. And so when Martin Luther was brave enough to say, no, the scriptures alone are final authority, not only did he open open up Europe to a move of God, but he opened up the world to modernization. Because when people are free, you know, there's there's a lot of problems with freedom, but there's a lot of benefits in freedom. You know what I mean? So it's so much easier just to manipulate people and control them and to use fear tactics to to keep them in line. But when you say, listen, God loves you and that you're saved by grace, when you start talking like that, it opens people up. But and, and some people abuse that and misuse that. But the other thing that it does, people that live under that environment, that atmosphere, what happens to them is they start to they start to dream. They start to think they start to imagine they start to uh, plan. They start to expand their borders. They start to uh, do things because now they're free. Remember I told you that story about when I was in Russia. Well, actually, I was in Ukraine. We were going from station to station holding revival meetings or, or evangelistic meetings. And so at every train stop, we would pass out tracks. And so every once in a while, when I'd give somebody a track, they would say, thank you in English. And so, you know, I didn't think much of it because, you know, I'm used to hearing English. But the interpreter finally said to me, see, they know you're an American. And I just had jeans and a T-shirt on. And I go, well, how do they know I'm an American? And he said, now this is his words. He said, you can spot an American anywhere. And then he said, this is the interpreter said to me, it comes from living in a free society. See, we are so accustomed to it, we don't even think about it. We just... Well, of course, you can, if you want to do this, you can do that. If you want to do this, you can do that. If you want to be this type of person, you go ahead and be that. We, we're so accustomed to freedom that we don't even realize that, you know, most of the world did not experience freedom. And they don't know what it's like. And, and then I begin to look at the people and I begin to see how downcast they were and how oppressed they were because they were not free to decide what they were going to do with their lives. And that's, what, that's really what came from Martin Luther's, uh, his, his, his movement, is it busted open the whole modern world that we have today. And so, I mean, 
Martin Luther was a powerful man of God. I mean, he wasn't perfect, but he was a powerful man of God. But so those are the five solas of the Protestant Reformation. So I want to talk again. Last week I talked about grace. I want to talk about grace alone. Now, here's, here's the thing. There's a lot of criticism about grace. And when you, start, when you mention that you're going to talk about grace, everybody tenses up. Because what they think, they mean that, they think that what I'm going to talk about is you can get saved and you can live any way you want. And that you open the door to, to immoral living or license. And that's what you think. That's what most people think. But I think what you need to understand is that Paul's understanding of grace was the opposite of that. Paul's understanding of grace was the opposite of that. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 14. He says, For sin shall not be master over you. For sin shall not have the mastery over you. Sin shall not be master over you. Why shall sin not be master over you? For you are not under law, but under grace. Now, what shocks people is that actually, if a person is experiencing grace, he's experiencing freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. He's experiencing freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. That's how grace is. When you're receiving grace, God's undeserved favor, when you receive it, something happens to your humanity. Something happens to your humanity. It, it doesn't, you don't go, hey, this is awesome. I get to sin and God doesn't care. That thought is, is wicked. That is not God's thinking. And that is not what the Bible teaches. But he's, what he says is, like Paul says here, if you try to live your Christian life by law, by rules and regulations, what happens is you become in bondage to sin. You know, I've, I've, I've watched this, and, and this is kind of my... I've been in the ministry for a long time. I mean, I've been, I've been a Christian for 50 years. 50 years. And I've been in ministry uh, 40... Full-time, 40, almost 45 years. And so I've seen a lot of things, you know, over those 45 years. And what I've, what I've noticed is that religious environments that are based on law, religious environments that are based on law, are not free from sin. They're generally filled with secret sins and mean people. Meaner than the mafia. And, and filled, and filled with, with secret sins. Grace environments generally have there's sin there, but usually it's in the open. Where it can be dealt with and it can be handled and it can be, we can get victory over it. And usually the people are sweeter. So what kind of an environment do we have here? <laughs> but, it, there, you know, I asked my wife, I said, uh, I shouldn't have told you it was, I asked her, I was going to say, I asked somebody. <laughs> I, 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 and I'll ask you this. I'm kind of goofing my notes up here a little bit, but you, don't, you guys don't care because you don't know what my, my notes are anyway. So. <laughs> but let me ask you this question. What causes sin to increase? Bingo! I can't believe you said that. That's right. Because I, I asked this other person. <laughs> and they said, the nature of man or, or something like that. No, it's the law. And that's a shocking thing to, to people. But I want you to turn there. Turn over here to Romans chapter 5. Let me show you. It in a couple of verses here. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And look at verse, look at verse 20. Romans chapter 5, verse 20. If you want to put it up on the screen. It says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound or might increase. Look at, look at that word. It says, The law was brought in so that the trespass might what? Not decrease, but increase. You know, I use this example sometime. What, what do you do when you see, it says, wet paint, don't touch? Why? They told you not to touch it. But what do you do? It's like, they told me not to do it. 
Normally, you just walk by, you wouldn't even think about it. But it says, wet paint, don't touch. You, you're going to touch it. Because there's just something in you that goes, I don't know, that just ticks me off. They told me not to touch it. I'm touching it. <laughs> I remember this, um, there was this construction site. And, um, and I realized what people think about this. Don't let me forget about the construction site. Because people don't like to get too far away from rules and regulations. Because they feel like, oh man, you're going to open a can of worms here, my friend. But, um, but, the, but the rules and regulations don't decrease sin, it increases sin. It's like they had this uh, industrial site where they had a fence around it, and everybody was always you know, trying to look inside, so they put a big hole in the fence, and they put a sign above it that said, don't look through here. Guess what everybody did? They put their head through there. Right? Why? Because you told them not to. And so what happens here, the Bible says the law was brought in so the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. He's not saying that sin in, where sin increased, God's grace increased so that you can just keep sinning and God doesn't care. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is grace increased to conquer the sin. To conquer the sin and overcome it so that you can live in victory above it. See, grace is not a light. In fact, Jude talks about people that turn the grace of God into license. Lascivious, lasciviousness. In other words, the absence of restraint. That's not what grace is all about. So what is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. But, but that, the, the thought that we cannot be saved by what we do is huge. Remember those five things. It says grace alone. See, look at, look at another verse here. Turn over here to Romans chapter 11. So it's grace alone. Everybody say alone. Grace alone. You know, I remember one time I was talking to a preacher friend of mine, and I, I had preached at his church on grace. And he, he, was, he had preached recently, and he talked to me about, you need to repent. Everybody needs to repent. They need to hear about sin. They need to repent. That's what they need to do. They, we need to have more sin preaching, more repentance in the church. How many have ever heard that? But see, when you talk about sin, sin is the problem. Sin is not the solution. Talking about sin is not the solution. Talking about sin is talking about the problem. Right? We're talking this morning about the solution. We need more repentance. Well, see, I believe in repentance, and I know that repentance is involved, even though it's not in those five things. Repentance is involved. But when they get done talking about repentance, what they mean is you need to clean your life up and show God you mean business. Now, you might, this may not be a stumbling stone to you, but this was a stumbling stone to me growing up. Because I tried several times before I finally, it finally stuck. I tried several times to be a Christian when I was a high school student. I, I lived a horrible life. I mean, one year in high school, I was suspended five times in one year. I was suspended for smoking, swearing at the teacher, tardy. I mean, five times in one year I was suspended. I was a horrible kid. And the crazy thing about it was I was a horrible kid that wanted to be a Christian. I wanted to be a Christian. I really did. I wanted to be. I can't tell you how many times I'd go out on the road. I had a dirt bike, and I'd go out into the wilderness with my dirt bike, and I'd, I'd kneel down, and I'd say, God, please help me. Please help me. Do something in my life. And I'd go, and I kind of feel like a little bit of a release, and I'd go, I, I think I got it this time. And then I'd go back. And then somebody do something, and I could swear. I swore every other word was a swear word. Bad swear words. Back then, the F word was terrible, and I'd say that word. And so the minute I'd swear, I'd go, oh, I'm not a Christian. Because if I repented, I wouldn't do it again. And if I did it again, obviously I didn't repent. And I'm not, if I didn't repent, I'm not saved. And so I, I would create this cycle. It was like a cycle of death. Every time I'd repent, 
If I did it again, I think I didn't repent. If I would have repented, I wouldn't do it again. And if I did it again, then I didn't repent. And if I didn't repent, I'm not saved. I'd go, I'd go continually through this cycle. And finally, I just go fooey. I didn't say fooey, but I said fooey. I give up. I just give up. And uh, I, after, when I finally came to the realization, Christ, you can't believe how, how I prayed. This is how I prayed. God, I'm, I'm going to follow you, but I am so flawed. It is unbelievable. You got to help me. And I just kept following after. Following after, but I served God a lot in a lot big way just because of works. You see, here, here, watch this verse here. Turn over here to Hebrews, Romans chapter 11. Look at verse 6. This, I hope this will set you free this morning. And when I say set you free, I don't mean set you free to sin and not feel bad about it. That's not what I mean. The Bible, Bible says that he that committed sin is a slave of sin. Sin is a slavery thing. What we're talking about is getting victory over sin. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about sinning and feeling okay with it. That's not what we're talking about. But look at what it says here in, Hebrew, in Romans chapter 11, verse 6, it says, If by grace, now listen very carefully to this. If by grace, then it is no longer of works. If by grace, it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. See what he's saying there? He's saying, if it's by grace, it's not of works. The minute you introduce a work in it, it's no longer grace. The minute, so somebody goes, you got to repent to show God you mean business. Well, I believe you need to repent. But what do you mean when you say repent? If you mean clean up my life, eh, is that too loud? You're introducing a work in it. And if you introduce a work in it, it's no longer grace. The minute you introduce a work in it, it's no longer grace. It stops being grace. I don't know if you ever noticed this or not, but the great words of the New Testament, words like righteousness, eternal life, justification, all those great words of grace, all those great words, and many like them, all have the word gift with it. Have you ever noticed that? The gift of eternal life, the gift of righteousness, the gift of justification. The minute you say the only way you qualify for this is you've got to stop swearing. I think you should stop swearing. You know, like I started smoking cigarettes when I was nine years old. And even after I got saved, and I was saved, by the way. I don't care what, you, you can send me an email and say I wasn't saved, but I was saved. <laughs> even when I got saved, I had, I, I, I love smoking. I don't know why. It was one of those things, I, I don't know, I just love to smoke. So I smoked cigarettes. I mean, my wife, you know, can tell you this. That even after, you know, I'd quit for a while. It was the funniest seesaw thing you've ever seen in your life. I'd go, I'd feel bad because our church taught like, you're going to hell if you smoke. You're going to smell like you're in hell before you get there. And when you die, you're going to hell if you smoke. That's what they taught. Of course, they taught if you go to a movie, you're going to hell. If you go play pool, you're going to hell. There was quite a list that you're going to hell. And so what I would do is I would, I would I'd go, I gotta, have, I gotta have me a cigarette. I'm a Christian, I'm born again spirit-filled. So I'd, I'd start smoking, you know, and you know, hide it, of course, because I, I was in a legalistic environment. I had to hide it. I can't tell anybody I'm smoking. So I had to hide it. And then I'm, you know, drinking, drinking. I was actually, sometimes I'd, uh, what do you call, swirl cologne around in my mouth. Well, I didn't want to have it in my breath. Come on, people, help me, work with me here. And then I'd go, I'd go then I'd say to myself, I am, I am sick of smoking. Then I'd throw the pack out the window. Then I'm littering. 
So now I'm smoking and littering. You know, I'm doing both. So then I'm driving along there. And then the next day I'm going, I'm dying for a... So then I go, where did I throw that pack out? <laughs> so then I'm looking in the bushes for it. Where... I don't want to pay money, you know, because it's expensive. But... And I seesaw with that. Sometimes I'd go months without smoking. I'd be so proud of myself. Then I'd fall again. And I'd seesaw back and forth for I don't know how many years, two or three years, until finally one day I was praying, and all of a sudden I heard God say to me, I don't want you to smoke anymore. That was the last day I smoked. That was over 40 years ago. I've never had a cigarette, never had a cigar, never smoked a pipe, never smoked anything, foreign or others. 40 years, but see, when God said, I don't want you to smoke anymore, when he said that to me, grace came. When grace came, that was my last day. I've never done it again. But I can't go around going, hey, man, I ain't nice something. Because I, I show you what I could do the years after I got saved, and I was saved. I showed you what I could do, but when God said, don't, I don't want you to smoke anymore. That was my last day. Because grace comes. And that's what I'm trying to talk about here, is that there is a transformate, there's a transforming power by grace. Transforming power by grace. So what, what, when people are living in sin and they're in bondage to sin, what do they need? They need more grace. They need more of the power of God in their lives to overcome sin, to live a different kind of a life. Of course, they can't glory then because... They, 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 all, all they can do is glory in Christ Jesus and what he did for them. Amen? Thank God for what he did for them. But the moment you add anything to it, so, so what do I, do I believe in repentance? Yes, I believe in repentance. But you know, it's interesting, in Hebrews chapter 11, go over there real quickly, Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 6, when it talks about repentance, it says, repentance from dead works. Repentance from dead works. Hebrews 11, or not 11, Hebrews 6. Did I say 11, 6? See, dyslexia. No, I'm, I don't have that, by the way. Uh, he, Hebrews 6, verse 1. It says, Therefore, leaving the discussions of the elementary principles of Christ, let us move on to maturity or perfection. Not laying, laying this foundation again. Repentance from dead works. Everybody say dead works. See, it doesn't say repentance from sin, even though sin is dead works, because sin, sin will mess you up, right? Sin will do that. The Bible says in Romans chapter, chapter 6, the wages of sin is death. It works death in your relationship with God, because you feel guilty. And you should feel guilty, because you're not supposed to be in sin. But the point that I'm making here is that he, when he says dead works, when he says he's talking about sin, but he's all, here's the other thing he's talking about. Everything you do to be made right, righteous with God is a dead work. Everything you do, because it's, what is it? It's grace alone. See, everything you do to be made right with God on yourself, other than Christ, is a dead work. It's, it's sort of like this. Okay, here's a bad example, but I'm going to use it anyways. No, it's a good example. It's like this. If you were in an airplane and you were flying along and all of a sudden the pilot comes on and says, he says, I got some really bad news. This plane's going down. And we're over the ocean and so we can't ditch. We'll all die. But I think I can make it to land. But the problem with the land, it's all full of mountains and so we can't land there either. That's the bad news. We're doomed. The good news is somebody who was very benevolent bought everybody a parachute. And there's a parachute for everybody. And the, steward, the stewardess is going to come along and give every single one of you a parachute. In a, in, in, and you've got to put it on because we don't know when this is going to take place. So you've got to put this parachute on. And then, the, and then the captain goes, there's a rumor out there that you can jump out of the airplane and flap 
and you can make it. But let me tell you this right now, all the flapping in the world isn't going to cause you to make it. You are going to die. You know, I heard this funny story one time about a preacher. He said, uh, he said that when he was a kid, he used to watch birds fly. And so he, he made some wings out of, out of cardboard. And then he got up on, he, was, he lived in the country, he put these wings on, and then he got up on the barn. No, serious. <laughs> and then he jumped off. And before he could do anything, his pant leg got caught on a, something on the barn. And so he swung down, so he swung upside down. And his cousin was there witnessing this, and his cousin going, yelling at him, flap, flap. So he's hanging there <laughs> upside down, flapping. Now we know that won't work, right? That won't work. So all the works in the world will not save you from the jump that's ahead. There's only one way to be saved from the jump that's ahead, and that's this parachute that was given to you, that was designed and was provided for you by some benevolent guy who's God. And that chute is Jesus. And the Bible says, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. And so you put it on. Now, let me ask you a question. So now you're sitting on an airplane with a parachute. Is it comfortable? Not really. And somebody goes, you can flap, you could jump. If you flap real hard, you can make it. You go, I ain't buying that. And what, will you, what, is, your, what is your attitude about that parachute? You're not going to say, I throw it over there. I don't really care about it that much. Are you kidding me? This is life or death. You're, you put that parachute on and you're hanging on to it. Right? right. You go, the only, there's only one way that I, only one way, grace alone. There's only one way I can be saved. And that, I got to hang on to this parachute. You're going to hang on to this parachute for dear life. Because it's the only way out of this situation. The only way out of sin is Christ and the grace that he has given to us. Salvation, he has given to us by grace. How many can see that? Let me give you a couple more verses here. Let's look at a few of these because I, I had the lady put these on there, which I appreciate the lady that does that, Sheila. I don't know if, she, if I should I appreciate that, Sheila. Let's give her a good hand. So the minute you introduce a works, it's not grace anymore. You know, one time years ago, I hate to admit my failure to you, but one time years ago, I felt like God spoke to me and said, I want you to give this couple your car. And so I'm going, okay, well, now I won't have a car. I have this one, I, have, I end up with this old beat-up pickup Trish and I will drive around in. I don't know if that's a good idea. So I started thinking, it was a pretty nice car. I mean, it was worth a lot of money. And, um, and so, um, and, and, and so I, I was thinking about it, and I thought, maybe I should tell them, I want to give you my car as a gift, but I want you to give me $1,000. And actually, I went to tell them that, that God told me to give you this car. It was the full purpose of saying, but could you give me $1,000? Because i got to buy another car. You know, I mean, that's what I'm thinking to myself. i gotta got to bail out of this. So when I'm, I'm, I'm going there to tell them, on the way there, God spoke to me and said, no, no, I said gift. How many know if I said I'm giving you my car, which is worth quite a bit of money, but I want $1,000. How many know that? <laughs> that is not a gift. The moment I ask for a money, any kind of money, with it, it stops being a gift. And that's what Paul said in Romans chapter 11. He said, the minute you add a work to grace, it stops being grace. It's not grace anymore. It's not unmerited favor now it's merited favor. Becomes something totally different. It becomes wage. Becomes wage. Payment for services rendered. It's not grace. But God gave it to us by grace. Now how many know that, that just like that parachute, you, you guys okay? Are you guys doing okay? 
Um, so how I many, just like that parachute, when the stewardess says, here, here's, here's this parachute that will save you, you've got to grab it. That's what faith does. Faith grabs it. And you've got to pull it to yourself and put it on. That's what you've got to do. That's your responsibility. You've got to take a hold of it. You can't just let it, you can't just let it, oh, i just set it down somewhere. No, you've got to take hold of it. That's what faith does. Faith takes hold of it. Let me show you a few verses here. Turn over here to Galatians chapter 2. And lo- notice how, how dogmatic Paul is about this. Galatians 2, 21, he says, I do not set aside God's grace, because if righteousness could come through the law, then Christ died for nothing. In other words, if you could become righteous by what you do, then Christ died for nothing. There was no reason for him to die. But, he said, but the obvious answer is you can't become righteous by what you do. Now, the thing is, is I don't, I don't, I do, you would be mildly impressed with my life. Because I do pretty good things. Because sometimes, I, I just got to say that because some of you are probably thinking, that guy's in some secret sin. I'm not. But what I'm trying to say here is that it's really not a self-transformation, it's a yielding to God's grace. So then we can't really glory like, ooh, look at me, look at me, look at me. It's more like, I am what I am by God's grace. I am what I am. I quit smoking by God's grace. I quit doing that by God's grace. I quit doing that by God's grace. I quit doing that by God's grace. God's grace working in me just gave me the ability to do it. Let me show you another verse here. Look at Galatians 5.4. This is a rough one. You who are trying to be declared righteous by the law have been alienated from Christ. That's rough. You have fallen away from grace. So anytime you introduce something into it, then it stops being grace. That's what I'm trying to say. I want to I'm 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 skip over here and try to bring this to a conclusion here. Turn over here to 2 Corinthians. Let me show you an example of a church that, that received grace and how it affected them. I mean, they were already Christians by grace, but they received some more grace. Turn over here to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In verses 1 and 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I have a lot of good things here to say to you. <clears throat> Romans 8 and verses 1 and 2. It says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. And there was three churches in Macedonia, Thessalonica, Philippi, and the Berean. Bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. It says this, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy, their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Now, you may, not, you may miss what the point there is. It's powerful. This is a powerful point. Because what he's saying here, he's, I, want you to, I, want you, I want to tell you about the grace of God that came on the churches of Macedonia. And here's how he, he knew the grace of God had come upon them. Because they were in a severe, a severe trial of affliction. So what, what do humans normally do when they're in a, a huge trial of affliction? What do they do? Oh, man. It's horrible. It's terrible. Right? That's how humans act when they go through stuff. Isn't that right? You guys act like I'm the only one in this room that acts... Poor me. But what, is it, what does it say they had? Instead of, instead of doing that, what, what did it say they had? It, abundance of joy. Humans don't act that way. And then they were going through severe financial trouble. And what was their response? Abundant liberality. The very opposite. And Paul said... That's grace, man. That's grace coming upon some people there. They're, acting, they're not acting like humans. They're acting the opposite of humans. Can you see it? See, and when you look at something and you see somebody acting beautiful, you see, like, you see somebody acting with forgiveness. They shouldn't have forgiveness toward that person. You think to yourself. Or they act as contrary. They don't, they don't let themselves get captured by attitudes and all this other stuff. You go, and that... 
the beauty of Christ is coming through their lives. And they go, man, it's just a joy to be around the people. They have such a beautiful spirit, such a sweet spirit, such a giving person, such a kind person, so, so virtuous, so wholesome. When you see that, that's grace. That's grace. Because grace, the Vine's Expository Dictionary defines grace as the divine influence upon the heart that's reflected in the life. It's like, you know, it's sort of like this. It's like when a guy falls in love. I mean, guys, you know, guys are kind of like, well, I don't need nobody. You know, that's kind of how they are. They walk around, I don't need nobody. I'm going out west all alone. I'm going to die. I'm going to hang on to a tree till the wolves eat me. Or you know, it's, that's that kind of mentality, you know, that's a guy. But when they fall in love, they are so stupid. <laughs> I, I, I know this friend, I won't say his name because you might know him, but he's kind of a, you know, rough character kind of a guy. But he, and, he, and he just acted like he didn't need anybody. And all of a sudden he met this woman. And he told me that he writes her a poem every week. I'm going... Come on, are you kidding me? I write her a poem every week. Come on, ladies, you'd like that, right? And he, you know. (laughs) I didn't expect you to say that. (laughs) You know, I used to have the attitude, tell my wife, I love you, and... uh, if it changes, I'll let you know. How many of that doesn't work very good? But when you're, when you're in love, your, your behavior changes, not because you read a book somewhere. It said, thou shalt open the door for thy wife. Thou shalt compose a poem once a week. Thou shalt, you know, you know and go through the list. It doesn't say that. It's just like all of a sudden this guy is gone crazy. Because his heart is being affected. And that's what I'm trying to say to you, is that when grace starts affecting your heart, your life goes crazy. You start going, I'm going to go to the all-night prayer meeting. What? I'm going to go to church. Yeah, but they, they're there forever. Yeah, but I love every minute of it. What is wrong with you? Something is affecting your heart. Something, there's an influence upon your heart that's reflected in your life. Does that make sense? So, um, and that's what Paul was saying here. So what is grace? Let me, let me bring this to a close. So what do I want you to take away from this? I don't know if I try, I try to preach it in a balanced way. But, but what I'm trying to tell you is, is that God favors you not because of what you do. God favors you not because you are good but because he is good. Because he's good. And I, on my part, what I do is I receive. I receive the, the favor. And when I receive the favor, something happens to me. You cannot, grace cannot touch your life without something happening to you. Something's going to happen to you. And then, it's not just, you know, the early church. I mean, it says this about the early church. It says that great grace was upon them. So what, what does that mean? When, when it says great grace, you, you know there's going to be some stuff that's going to be happening that's going to be unusual. So what does it say? It says that they sell their stuff and give to anybody that had need. What, oh, oh, people don't do that. We, we gather our stuff. We collect it. We rent storage lockers and and garages and sheds and we got we pile it up and we don't give it away but when grace is working if you got a need oh hey here you go you see what i'm saying what it, what it does is it changes your actions because it's, it's affecting it's working on your heart so what is grace grace is unmerited favor what does grace provide all the riches of christ all the riches of God at Christ's expense. There's nothing that you need right now in your life. Peace, joy, healing, prosperity, whatever it is that you need in your life right now, 
There's nothing that grace hasn't provided. And what does grace do when it comes? It empowers, it transforms, it changes. If a person goes, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian, but my life is, is not going very good. You just need grace, man. You need some grace in your life. You need some grace working in your life. Because it gives you the ability to rise above your circumstances, rise above your faults. You know, I'll just give you one last verse, and I didn't put this one on there, but everybody knows this one. It's 2 Corinthians 12. I'm, I'm going longer than I'm supposed to, but, but I'm the boss. So. <laughs> Anybody that minds can pound sand. <laughs> but look at 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. It says, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, Paul is saying this, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above a measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my great, now listen to this. We won't talk about what the thorn in the flesh was right now, but, but look, look what he said. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Then he says this, my strength. Notice how he uses grace and strength interchangeably. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. See, how many here have a, have a weakness? Grace will overpower it. It will overcome it. And then he goes, he said, most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast in my infirmities or weaknesses that the power of Christ. What's the power of Christ? Bingo. Grace. The power of Christ may rest upon me. I mean, I don't know about you, but I want to be transformed, totally transformed, completely transformed. I don't know a better way to do it than God's grace. Let's all stand together. So, what should you have gotten out of this? I don't know. My one point I really wanted you to get was when you add a work to, a, to grace, it stops being grace. It's not grace anymore. Or you add a, a payment, an amount to a gift, it's not a gift anymore. It stops being a gift. And salvation, the word gift is used around salvation. Salvation is a gift. Eternal life is a what? Okay, the answer to all the questions, I'm gonna ask you three questions. The answer is gift, okay? Righteousness is a gift. Justification is a gift. We got to get gift thinking. We got to think gift. Amen. Wow. Can you receive a gift? I can. I can receive a gift. So, can you understand why, when you put this message in the context of a religious, oppressive environment, how it really didn't go over very big? It was like, it created, fire, it, it created sparks, fireworks. But it brought, it brought the known world at that time in Europe out of the dark ages. Isn't that powerful? Your, your dark age needs to end. Your dark age needs to end. You need to realize, listen, stop struggling, trying to become approved by God. Just receive grace. Receive his approval. Receive his grace. Amen? And let that empower you to rise above every human weakness. Amen. Let's we sing a song. Got a song we can sing? All right. And I will never forget the moment I met
and thank God for unmerited favor. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Unmerited, undeserving favor. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, that your favor is over our lives and we expect something good to happen. Hallelujah. In our lives. Thank you, God. Praise God. Amen. God's good. How many glad you came this morning? Hallelujah. That's a few of you. Well, we're going to ask you if you want prayer for something. Prayer counselors could please come. This time you need prayer for anything. As soon as I dismiss, we got some refreshments back there. 
Somebody gave us a truckload of sweets. And so we got a bunch of stuff back there. So uh, please, um, please join us. Uh, but if you do need prayer, please just come forward and <clears throat> have, be prayed for. But I want you to have a, a, a week that's filled with God's favor. Amen? Because God's a good God. He cares about what happens to you. And so uh, I just uh, pray that over your lives, that the favor of God will be over you and that you have a great week. But if you do need prayer, please join us for some fellowship. If you need prayer, please come forward. God bless you all. You're free to go.